0: Today's Money Mover, Wheaton Precious Metal CEO, Randy Smallwood. A Commodities Outlook, what's ahead for gold and the precious metal sector. Carl Kentania, Sarah Eisen, Money Movers, today, 11 Eastern, CNBC.
1: Options Action is brought to you by TD Ameritrade, where you gain access to research tools to help you sharpen your trading strategies.
2: Happy Friday. Welcome to Options Action. On deck tonight, thinking about a summer vacation, we've got a two-for-one deal that could have you swimming in profits. Then the change oil light just went on, not in your car, but in your portfolio. And finally, a follow-on to a big winner from last week's show. With us tonight, as always, Carter Worth, Mike Coe, and Tony Zhang. All right, let's get right to it. With the reopening trade, heading into a seemingly full-swing summer, the chart master Carter Worth is already making reservations for not just one, but two plays. Carter, explain.
1: Well, not many earnings left, but two big names reporting next week, Disney and Marriott, obviously very much tied to the end of COVID and their prospects going forward. A couple charts, we're gonna make the case for each. The first chart, three lines. Now take a look at Disney and Marriott. They are parallel lines. They are doing the exact same thing. And that third line uh, trailing behind is the S&P. But what we know is, In terms of its return series, the S&P is steady and orderly. The Disney and Marriott uh, lines are erratic, right? Great surges and pullbacks, great surges and pullbacks. And this recent pullback we think is the opportunity. So let's look at them individually. First Disney, and you can see here annotated on the chart, the the periods over multi-week periods, two to four, two to five weeks, where it pulls back, pulls back and advances again. Look at the second Disney chart. Now I've put in the arrows, meaning this has been very sequential, uh, very orderly in the way it surges and then rests, surges and rests. Disney closed at 184 and change, and we think you can get mid-190s out of this. Now take a look at Marriott. It's the exact same chart. You see the pullbacks after strong moves, and then the next chart, the strong moves that precede the pullbacks. And again, we think here that earnings related, it will go on its next advance, close at 146.70, and we're thinking mid-150s. Final chart, just back to the two together. Again, look at Disney and Marriott, both reporting earnings, both unchanged for the last two months when the market's up 10%. The pause that refreshes.
2: All right, thank you, Carter. Mike, over to you. You've got two trades for us here.
0: Yeah. So two very similar uh, charts and two very similar trades. We've got earnings on both. We know what the dynamics typically are. That means short dated options premiums are going to be elevated. We want to take advantage of that. The other thing is with the market at all time highs, both of these stocks trading very close to their average analyst price targets, having obviously demonstrated considerable strength. Disney at an all time high. Marriott, not quite there, but not far off. So I think what we want to do is continue to buy longer dated calls. On both of these stocks, sell out-of-the-money shorter-dated calls against them, creating a diagonal spread. On the Marriott trade, I was looking at the July 150, May 157.5 call diagonal. I could spend $6.60 or thereabouts for that July 150 call and sell the 157 against it for just under a dollar. And then similarly, in Disney, you can do essentially the same thing. Looking at that first out-of-the-money call strike in Disney, the July 185 calls. When I was looking at those earlier today, those were about $8, and then you could sell the 195 calls against it for $1.25. In both of these trades, what we're looking to do is spend less money than the distance between the strikes. And what that means is that we are taking advantage of selling those shorter-dated options. But if the stocks do trend in the direction that we want, which is higher in both cases, under no circumstances no matter how high these stocks go will we see losses to the upside of course you could see some losses to the downside but the risk that you're taking in a trade like this will be less than if you went out and purchased the stock right here which i think is a little bit tough when you consider that the market of course is at all-time highs and in disney's case it is as well and marriott not far from it
2: yeah tony what do you make of this kind of trade
3: yeah so both stocks currently from a technical perspective look fairly strong momentum favors here to the upside what I have trouble wrapping my heads around at the moment is really the valuations and the business itself. Marriott's, you know, RevPar is still about forty-five percent below pre-pandemic levels. Disney, with the Disney Plus and the reopening, looks a little stronger, but these are stocks trading at 60 to 80 times next year's earnings. So I find these valuations a little difficult to wrap my head around. So when you're looking at these, I do think that the option strategy that Mike has selected, where you're risking less than 4% of the stock price on both trades, is the right way to play this. And even if the stock doesn't move substantially higher because of the valuations, you're not seeing any losses from these diagonals in the short run.
2: Mike, you wanted to comment?
0: Yeah, just very quickly, as far as the REVPAR on Marriott, I think it's important to realize, of course, their revenues got absolutely slayed in all of this, and they have a lot of potential upside. Over $20 billion in revenues is what they were doing uh, not that long ago, and now down about $13, 14000000000 So there's a lot of room to the upside if they recover. And in Disney's case, obviously, we've got parks reopening. And we actually just saw a price increase on Disney+, Plus, which obviously has had very good traction. So I think that's one of the reasons you see these hey, high valuations, totally, but those risks there. are real.
2: All right. Well, quite literally, when one door opens this summer, another will likely close. And Tony thinks it's shifting to game over for one pandemic winner. Tony, EA?
3: Yeah, I wanted to take a look at EA because of the gaming slowdown that I'm starting to see. And I think going into earnings next week, we should fade some of the strength that we're seeing. If we look at the chart of EA, it's been range-bound here for the last nine months and it's trading near the upper bound of that range around that $145 resistance level and I think it's more likely to roll over rather than break out here because if you look at EA relative to its sector, the communication sector, it has underperformed here over the last nine months and continues to make relative lows. So if you look at that and especially the business itself, there's been evidence that gaming has continued to slow down here substantially in both March and April. We saw a bit of that here in the, a- in the Apple earnings where gaming was relatively soft in terms of ad revenue, so, uh, a- app revenue. So for those reasons, I think EA is more likely to, to uh, move here to the downside on earnings next week. When you look at the earnings itself, The market is implying a relatively muted move here, only about 3.1% versus the average over the last eight quarters around 3.7%. So the stock doesn't move a whole lot, but I actually think that the market perhaps is underpricing the potential downside here for EA. So the trade structure I'm using is by going out to June, I'm buying the 140, 130 put spread. And I'm paying about $2.80, paying about $4.60 for that June 140 put and collecting about $1.80 for that June 130 put. And this is risking less than 2% of the underlying stock's value to play for uh, about a, a 7 8% move here to the downside. And if you do see EA accelerate below 130 by the June expiration, it pays out almost a 3 to 1 risk-to-reward ratio on this trade.
2: Carter, what do you make of this chart?
1: You know, the, the thing about EA is while it benefited from the pandemic, it's been underperforming for so long. Just consider this the stock peaked in the summer of 2018. I mean, this is the summer of 2021. It's lower than it was three years ago. Now, um, the SP is up, the QQUs are up 100%, Russell's up 50. Not many stocks are right now below where they were in the summer of eighteen. EA has had a problem for a long time, and I think it still does.
2: Yeah, I was going to ask you, Mike, about the fundamentals, since we got Activision Blizzard earlier this week and it was a beat and raised quarter, but it sounds like EA is a different animal. And then also, what do you make of just the trade structure that Tony's using?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the trade structure actually is the important element here, and this applies not just to this stock, but to any situation where you have a catalyst coming up if you feel that the options market is underestimating the potential for a move. That's when you want to use something like a debit spread. That's when you want to look for debit spreads that have payoffs, kind of like the one that he's got here, of almost three to one. That's typically the math we're looking for in situations like this. So I like the trade structure, and I think both the fundamental and technical setup for the trade makes sense.
2: All right. Still to come, Professor Koh will try and keep you from slipping on a big puddle of oil. We'll break down that trade. and. Um, As we head out, don't forget to check out our website, optionsaction.cmc.com. You can sign up for our newsletter there. Much more Options Action in just a minute. Welcome back to Options Action. With all the reopening talk, you might expect oil to simply gush higher and higher, but that might not necessarily be the case. That's Mike Coe's call to action. Mike, take it away.
0: Yeah, obviously, we've seen, obviously, with the reopening, that would seem to be bullish. We've got the summer driving scene. That would seem to be bullish. We've got actually an inverted curve in oil. So when we see backwardation in the curve, that's usually bullish. And we even had Goldman Sachs coming out with an $80 price target on oil. And all of these things, even 100 strike call options trading, might indicate that uh, the upside is where it's at. But of course, when everybody's looking up, sometimes you might want to Take a pause and wonder whether it's a little bit over exuberant. I think that might be the case here because we're reaching some fairly critical levels where oil is concerned. And, of course, the long-term trend isn't actually all that overwhelmingly bullish for me. So when I was taking a look at this, I think maybe betting that we might be reaching a point of interim resistance We might actually be betting that oil could pause here a little bit before going higher. And I think the way that you want to trade that is taking advantage of the fact that the upside implied volatility, that's the price of options, tends to be a little bit higher. So I was looking at USO. If you have an equity trading account, that's the way you can get your exposure to oil and selling an upside call spread. Specifically, I was looking at the June 45-48 call spread, a $3 wide call spread that expires in June and collecting about $1.05 for that. So a little bit more than a third of the distance between the strikes. And this is a trade that will profit if USO just tracks sideways or goes lower. It would have to go above that $45 strike price by at least the dollar and five you collected before you would see any potential losses. And essentially, this is one of those situations where the options premiums is not quite as low as it is in some other areas of the market right now.
2: All right. Thanks for that, Mike. Uh, Carter, how are the charts looking like?
1: Well, the issue is the sequence, right, uh, let's, well, let's look at them. So one of two, we have that strong advance along with everything, everything's strong coming off the pandemic uh, low, and then you had that uh, f- aggressive sell-off, right, we hit a high in early March of I guess it's 67.80 or thereabouts, and we draw down $10 a barrel, a 15% decline. And then we've gone back to that level, you can see those uh, little uh, hats I've drawn on the chart. Second and last chart, so we're on trend. But in order to continue an uptrend after drawing down 15, 12, 10 percent and then getting back to the former high, typically before you exceed it, you contend with it. You'll get stuck backing or filling or backing away. Hence, we think oil is stuck here uh, fallow for a bit.
2: Tony, what are your thoughts on this?
3: Uh, I think this is a great use of a, selling a call credit spread, especially if you look at the technical uh, reason for it. You have this huge rally over the past five months. You start to see signs of exhaustion. You have this double top forming. Those are usually great uh, signs of a potential consolidation. That's exactly what a call credit spread allows you to profit from. Even if USO doesn't move uh, much lower, even if it just stays where it is around this $45 level, you're able to profit. You only have losses if USO rallies substantially above this, this current resistance level, which would invalidate the technical analysis to begin with. So I think it's a really good use of the call spread.
2: Mike, I'm just curious. This is the view on oil. Uh, oil equities have had an amazing week, a tremendous year so far. Does this also correlate to your view on oil equities and, and where they're headed?
0: Yeah, I mean, generally speaking, when you have commodity-related equities, they tend to trade along with that commodity, right? So, of course, that is going to play into it a little bit. of. But that doesn't necessarily mean that the fundamentals are broken. I'm Long Halliburton. so. And I have been for quite some time now. So, you know, it's not that I despise those stocks. Stocks tend to be investments rather than just trading vehicles. But just looking at the commodity, I kind of feel like it might hit the pause button. doesn't mean evacuate your energy portfolio, but it does mean you might have an opportunity to sell some upside here.
1: Carter, your two cents on that? Well, that's right. And also consider this, just relating to commodities. Oil relative to corn, relative to steel, relative to aluminum, relative to lumber, you pick... Oil is not performing uh, and that's an important thing.
2: All right, up next. After Fastly fell on earnings, this is no time to slow down on cloud trades. We'll explain right after this.
0: Today's Money Mover, Wheaton Precious Metal CEO, Randy Smallwood. A Commodities Outlook. What's ahead for gold and the precious metal sector. Carl Cantania, Sarah Eisen. Money Movers, today 11 Eastern, CNBC.
2: Welcome back to Options Action. Time for one of our look back trades. Last week, Tony called for a slowdown in Fastly.
3: If we first take a look at the chart here, Fastly did break out to new all-time highs earlier this year but on the earnings last quarter, started to break below a major support level around $75 and has really struggled to get back above that level is now acting as resistance. But more importantly, relative to its sector, the trade structure I'm using is I'm going out to May, the 28th weekly options, and I'm selling the 65 by 70 call vertical here, collecting about $2.10. That's gonna collect actually more than 40% of the width. And that means I'm reducing my risk here on this call spread down to just about 59% of the width, and that's the type of risk to reward that I like to see selling a call spread going into an earnings event.
2: Since then, Fastly hit the skids, but Tony in a twist said on this morning's call, this might not have been the best way to play this. Why not, Tony?
3: Yeah, so this is a trade that far exceeded my expectations, and we sold the call spread because options were fairly expensive, We didn't want to purchase the put put options because we felt that it required such a big move to the downside in order to be profitable. But with hindsight, certainly Fastly moved substantially lower than we had expected. So buying a put would have been more profitable, but we only know that here in hindsight. In the current trade right now, you can buy back this credit spread for about $0.05. I encourage investors to do that. It releases the margin requirement that allows you to apply the, the, the the profits to the next trade.
2: Hindsight is 2020, Tony. Only you would beat yourself up over a winning trade, uh, Carter. What do you make of this chart here?
1: I mean, it's a it's a free fall, and then he, uh, the drop and gap. The news related drop and gap is the sort of icing on the cake. At this point, uh, I would harvest gains certainly if one has shorted into the news. It's uh, bombed, bombed out. It always has snapback potential. Yeah,
2: Mike. What do you think?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's, he's being a little bit hard on himself Monday morning <laughs> yeah. quarterbacking it like that. Of course, look, this thing moved almost 30 percent to the downside. It's, your trade structure should be optimized not for what did happen, but for all the things that might happen. And his trade structure made a lot of sense for all the things that could happen. If the stock had gone sideways, if it had gone up slightly or gone down Significantly less than it actually did. His trade actually would have been better. So, in this one instance, down thirty percent overnight, which actually is the worst earnings result that they've reported actually as a publicly traded company. I can understand why he didn't anticipate that. I can understand why he didn't trade for that. The trade he put on actually would have made sense in a lot more circumstances than simply going out and buying puts would have.
2: Yep. All right, so Tony's got the hot hand, so we got a bonus play from Tony tonight. You think Fastly is just the beginning of a theme, Tony, and that brings you to Palantir.
3: That, that's right. The theme of this particular earnings season is really these high beta tech names, especially in the cloud computing space that... Are trading at very rich valuations, but the earnings growth or the revenue growth is not there, and Palantir certainly falls into that category. Recently breaking below the twenty-one dollar level today, breaking down breaking down below the twenty dollar support level here, and revenue growth here only in the low teen digits, uh, low teens. So for those reasons, I think that there's potential downside here for Palantir next week. The trade structure I'm using is going out to June, and I'm buying the twenty by seventeen put vertical here, spending about a dollar fifteen for this $3 wide debit spread, risking just about 6% of the underlying stock's value to bet that Palantir may see some further downside similar to Fastly. All
2: right. Uh, Mike, what do you think of this trade?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think this is a fine way to play it. I wouldn't have minded if he uses a credit spread as he did on the last trade. Uh, but I can understand why he's going to try to swing for a little bit more this time around.
2: Yeah. And Carter, what do you make of the charts? I would imagine that a lot of stocks fall into the category of a Palantir and a Fastly these days.
1: That's right, and the market started separating the wheat from the chaff, and that's what's going on. Interestingly, it's, it's identical trade to the last one, meaning a long and protracted downtrend getting worse and worse, which is almost always culminated by an epic event, either one more drop or a ricochet. Play for the drop.
2: Yeah. Tony, how much did that Fastly trade in your sort of Monday morning quarterbacking play a role in how you laid out this trade?
3: Uh, it didn't, even though it, you, it would look that way. But I really like Palantir because I, wanted, I I do think that there is some significant downside. And the options implied volatilities here for Palantir actually were not very expensive. It's only cost me about 6% of the stock's value to place this downside bet. Looking at Fastly last week, it would have cost me over 12% of the stock's value to make that bet. So for those reasons, that's why I chose to sell the credit spread on Fastly. OK.
2: Up next, we've got your tweets and the final call. Welcome back to Options Action. Time to take some of your tweets or first year of rights. I am bullish on GE and was looking at a possible near-dated bull spread when I came across a 15-strike June 18th call. Seems to have large open interest at 150,000 contracts. Is this an opportunity or am I reading into it too much? Tony, what do you say?
3: So first of all, I agree with you on GE. I do like this stock, but don't read too much into that open interest, especially since it's so far away. It's also a 13 delta call option. So I do think that if you're interested in buying GE, look at a slightly higher delta, maybe the 13 or $14 strike to the upside.
2: What would you say, Mike?
0: Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, I think the thing you want to do when you're long premium is try to improve your likelihood of success. Too far out of the money or too short dated is not the way you want to do
2: that. And Carter, what's your take on the GE chart? Oh, you know, we're having some technical difficulties with the Chartmaster, so we'll try and reestablish that connection uh, for the final call. Meantime, let's get to our next tweet. Uh, This viewer writes, what do you do with Microsoft July 270 calls now? Mike, what do you tell this person?
0: Yeah, so I like Microsoft as a stock. Those are about 8% out of the money, maybe. That's a little bit too far out of the money, and it's, of course, a little bit shorter dated. I would probably roll those down and out a little bit and then sell some near dated upside calls against it to help offset the decay.
2: Yeah. Tony, what's your advice?
3: Yeah, I like Microsoft. It held that 250 support level here. I do think rolling it down and out makes sense here to buy yourself a little bit more time and maybe sell some upside calls against it to to, to, uh, lower the premium on that as well.
2: We got Carter back. The, the miracle of technology, Carter, let's get your take yeah, on General Electric first and then Microsoft.
1: <laughs> sure. I mean, General Electric has been a poster child for playing a sort of bombed out industrials post pandemic. And yet it's basically stuck in a range here. And I think it's sort of a pair of twos, not particularly bearish or bullish. Microsoft, Godlike, stay long, be long
2: like. Wow, I haven't heard that from the chart master. Okay, let's get to our next tweet. What are your thoughts on a bounce in Ford over the next couple of months? I bought some June 12 calls. Mike, what do you say?
0: Yeah, so I also like Ford. I think they're trying to do the right things from fundamentally. Of course, if you're playing for a bounce, that sounds like a technical issue. So I should probably defer to the other guys. But I do like what Ford is doing, and I think I like the valuation.
2: All right. Well, it is time now for the final call on this Friday. Carter Braxtonworth, what do you say?
1: Doubleheader. Disney, Marriott, both have earnings. Playing them both on the long side.
2: Tony Zhang.
3: I'm seeing slowdown in mobile gaming. Buying a put spread on EA.
2: Mike Coe.
0: Baseball season is here, but don't swing for the fences. Just try to hit some singles and use diagonal <laughs> spreads to
2: do that. That does the rest on your options action. See you back here next Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Mad Money with Jim Kramer starts now.
0: Today's Money Mover, Wheaton Precious Metal CEO, Randy Smallwood, a commodities outlook, what's ahead for gold and the precious metal sector. Carl Cantania, Sarah Eisen, Money Movers, today, 11 Eastern, CNBC.